addition to what we looked at on Wednesday. On Wednesday, Jesus began to taught his disciples in, in Luke chapter 11. And what was it that he taught them? He taught them how to pray. And that was their request before him. Again, as I mentioned then, it's a very encouraging idea that people go to Jesus and say, teach us to pray, because for the most part, I think we have a presupposition in our mind that prayer is just something that you ought to be able to do. And I know for me, most of the time, I feel completely inept at being able to pray. And to know that it is a learned ability, as Jesus then receives their request, a request to be taught to pray. And so he does begin to teach them to pray. And on Wednesday night, we looked at some of the principles of what should be included in prayer. And so he uh, shares that with us in the beginning of, of the uh, Gospel, uh, of, of chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke. But now, after having taught them, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation, Jesus doesn't just leave it there and say, okay, all right, go ahead and, you know, before you lay me down to sleep, uh, you know, go ahead and, you know, make your hands like this and say this little prayer. He, he doesn't just simply leave it at that. But now he's like, all right, and now I want you to know the attitude that you're supposed to have as you get after a relationship with God the Father. And to help you understand this a bit better, I'm going to, for a change, tell you a little story, Jesus says. And he's a master at that, and we love that about Jesus. And we love that he makes such theologically transcendent concepts like connection to God Almighty be brought into real view for us. And praise God that he's able to do that for us. It says in verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I've found no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity... He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's an interesting story, of course. And for us, the word that jumps off of the page, or the words that jump off the page, that we want to hold on to is, all right, so what is this shameless audacity that Jesus speaks of? It's not what I often associate with prayer. In my mind's eye, when I think of prayer, I think of some nice, pious you know, kind of a gentle approach to the Lord and, you know, or, or, or even I think of, you know, most of our kids as they pray. That doesn't sound like shameless audacity, does it? All right, now, who, who doesn't have a kid who prays this way? Thank you, God, for this wonderful day and help us to have a good night's sleep and give us a great day tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? I mean, there are times when we're praying for other things. And it's, thank you, God, for this wonderful day. We have a rule in our house sometimes that there is a moratorium on thank you, God, for this wonderful day just to disrupt the prayer process because it can become such a mindless, repetitive idea rather than Jesus trying to shake us up and say, no, 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 you don't come mindlessly before the throne of God. You're going to come to this and you're going to bring it. You're going to bring it in your prayer life. But I know for me, a lot of times in my prayer life, I, I do feel 
maybe uh, conflicted. Because it's interesting, in the parallel teaching on this, Matthew teaches the exact same words of how it is that we're going about pray, praying. But before he does, this is the interesting thing that Matthew says on this topic. He says, don't be like them. He's talking about the, the religious leaders who they are before everybody, and they make a big show of their prayers, and they say the same thing over and over again. Which is ironic, right? Because isn't it this prayer that a lot of people just say over and over again? And apparently Jesus didn't mean this just to be a prayer, where you just say it over and over again. Thus, he means it to be a model prayer by which you come to the Father. And here's the typical content that you would bring to him as you come to him. But here's what he says. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, then what, what, is, what are you going to think in your head? Probably the same thing I do. Well, then why am I asking? He already knows. It's covered. I'll be like, all right, you got this, right, God? Because, you know, you're sovereign. You, you got this. But it's interesting, the tension that Jesus provides us by saying your father knows before you ask him. And then he says, this then, having said that, this then is how you should pray. Well, even though he knows, Jesus says, well, given the fact that that is the case, this then is how you should pray. And then he gives the prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, etc. Um, that he gives there. And then, again, to expand this with the attitude of our prayer, he then says, All right, let me tell you a little story. And this story is about a man who comes into a village and he's got a buddy in the village and in first century Palestine, hospitality, if that is what is required of you, everything else, falls to the side as hospitality becomes your big priority. It was just the way that things were done. And if you did not provide hospitality, shame on you. And I don't mean that just as a nice little catchphrase today. I mean that literally then. Shame on you. Maybe shame on you and for generations to come, it would be that big a deal that you did not provide hospitality to that weary traveler who came through and actually trusted in you in the name of God to be able to have some sort of, of, uh, of sustenance on his journey. And shame on you if you didn't provide it. So, of course, this man lives in this culture and he realizes, all right, I need to provide hospitality. Hospitality requires for this to be able to provide him at least three rolls of bread. A roll of bread would be about the size of a fist. And that was a normal kind of portion of bread for someone to set before them in a meal. There's nothing mystical about the number three. It's just what normal culture would have dictated for you to be able to provide. But it's not like there's a, a, a 7-Eleven or a Wawa or, or even a 24-hour grocery store to which he can go. It's a village. And what would you do? Each day you made enough bread. You know, they, the prayer just a moment ago was, give us this day our daily bread. It's not like they made bread for a week and then froze it. And then, you know, that way we can manage our meals and we'll have, you know, a kind of a gathering of, of, of all of us. And we'll freeze our meals and then we'll have them throughout the week and, you know, measure our calories. It'll be great. None of that is like, we got some grain. We're going to eat for today. Hallelujah. Here's hoping the same thing happens tomorrow. And, and so you'd have the bread for the day and that was it. And if you have a traveler come by and that happenstance comes upon you, whoa, I wasn't ready for this. I don't have any, but I do remember my buddy having all that extra bread over at his place. So I'm going to go over to his place because hospitality. And it's midnight. Oh, and he's got a lot of kids. 
and you know what, all of his animals. And, and when you go to a house, this house would be uh, just a one-room house. But while it's one-room house, there'd be like a, a kind of a main living room area and then a bit of a drop-down, just up a couple feet. And then there would be a bit of a lower level. That lower level is where you'd bring in the animals at night so that they would be able to stay warm. And so probably the scene that this man is encountering is, i got to go over to my buddy's house. He's in bed. All of his family is in bed with him. They're all sleeping on some sort of a mat on the floor, keeping warm. And the animals are in there keeping them warm, too. And to get him to open his door, that door is going to have some rings on it and either an iron or a big wooden bolt through it. It's going to make a ton of noise. It's going to wake up all of his kids, probably wake up the animals. You know, suddenly, they're going to be making all kinds of noise on top of that. Oh, oh, my goodness. What do I do? What do I do? Well, I know what I do. Hospitality. Hospitality rules no matter what. And he also knows in his mind that since he didn't have the provision for the man that is on the journey, once he comes into that village, it's everybody's responsibility for hospitality. And so he also knows that, hey, if it were me, I know what I would be required to do by normal social convention. I would have to get up and help provide the bread. I'll do it as quiet as I can, but I have no choice. I would have to do this thing because it's righteous. It's the right thing to do. So he goes to the man's door and knocks on the door, asks for the bread. And what is the reply back? Are you kidding me? It's midnight. My kids are asleep. My animals are asleep. If I get up and open the door, pandemonium is going to break loose. Dogs and cats living together, craziness all going on. I can't do it. And, and yet the man doesn't take no for an answer. Instead, it says, not because of the friendship, but because of his. And the, the, the word that is in the text here is this word, anadia. It, it comes from basically the word ados. Ados means that you have a healthy sense of social propriety, a healthy sense of decorum. You probably didn't understand any of these words. You have a healthy, I didn't mean like you in particular, somebody over there, I kind of meant, never mind, sorry. Our teens often come to me later and say, all right, this word, this word, and this word, I'd like you to be able to help me out with. So you, 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 you didn't, it, it's, it, ADOS means that you know how to be cool. Right? Like, you know how to be cool in the right times. You're not like all whacked in different social situations. Now, to have anedos, anedos is the negation of being cool. And instead, it's being whacked. It's being totally whacked in those situations because you no longer have the constraints of behaving properly. Because something is more important than trying to look good or behave properly or fit in to the, the social expectations that's going on with you. And what is it here? It's the righteous expectation of helping this dude out who is on his journey. So you cast off all of your concern about how you're going to look. And after the guy says no, you're like, all right, it's on. It's on. And then it's like, bang, 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 bang. Bang, 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 bang. You know what? It doesn't matter that all that's going on. We need to take care of this person on their journey. Get up. Open the door. Let's do this thing or else we are all going to be shamed for having neglected a normal social uh, responsibility that is ours, that God has put upon us. And suddenly, with the force of what this guy brings, he goes, like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I, just shut up, all right? I mean, I'll, get you the, I'll get you the bread, all right? And 
But but it's interesting is that this is then presented to us as the way that we ought to pray. Is to pray with anadia. With, with this kind of casting off all concern about how we look. And I was trying to think, well, what, what's a, a word that might kind of mean that in, in our everyday language? Now, your everyday language is not the same as my everyday language because I grew up in New Jersey. And I grew up in a very Jewish city in New Jersey. And even though we spoke English, we weren't afraid to pepper it with a little bit of Yiddish now and again. And so, trying to think through, what would be like the, the, the real word that captures what Jesus wants from us as we pray? It would be this. I know it doesn't sound like this. Chutzpah. Jesus wants you to pray with a little chutzpah. Now, what is, what is chutzpah? Um, let, me, uh, let me show you from the, the, the Yiddish dictionary. Unmitigated gall or nerve. The classic example is a man who kills his parents and demands mercy from the court because he's an orphan. <laughs> but it's also used... And, but, and this is the interesting thing, is that chutzpah has a very negative connotation except for when all that energy is applied in a positive direction. Same thing with the word anadia. To, to no longer care about social convention is a very negative, negative thing, even in the, the original language of the, of the Greek New Testament. But in rare cases, this weirdness about your boldness is actually viewed in a bit of a positive way. And that's what Jesus is getting at. It's a very provocative idea. Uh, whoops. Uh, sorry. My thing doesn't sync up right. This is interesting from, uh, from, man, why am I, never mind, a couple pictures of chutzpah. With that in mind, know that God admires your chutzpah. And He wants your chutzpah. It's, it's what He wants to see in you. And as the story goes on, it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's because of, because of this that anadia, or chutzpah, is sometimes translated as persistence. It's because of the next section. But it is not persistence, and it's not the definition of chutzpah or anadia. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I even like the word chutzpah to kind of give this as our, our you know, kind of a, a meaning that would maybe drive it home for us, is the Talmud was a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. And it was their main teaching on the Old Testament. And one of the passages that dealt with prayer and dealt with this idea of being bold before God was Abraham 
When God had put Sodom and Gomorrah in his sights, and he was so disgusted by the outcry of the filth of what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, that he was going to rain down fire and brimstone on the city. Abraham came to God, and he kind of said to him, Hey, are you going to sweep away the righteous in that city with the wicked? This is all in Genesis 18, if you want to go back and look at it at some point. And then Abraham starts to bargain with God. He goes, hey, what if there are 50 righteous people in that city? Are you really going to sweep away those 50 and not spare that place, even for the sake of 50 people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, God, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham's going for it. The Lord said, all right, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'm going to spare the whole place just for their sake. Then Abraham speaks up again. And he says, all right, now that I've been so bold as to speak up to you, God, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Are you going to destroy it for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, I will not destroy it, the Lord says. Now, this, and he, then Abraham bargains him down all the way to 10. <laughs> and in doing so, is, is actually not incurring the wrath of God through all of this. You actually see God admiring Abraham. And the Jewish rabbis, in writing about this in the Talmud, when they talk about Abraham saying, now that I've been so bold... As to approach you in this way, God, the word that they used was chutzpah. Chutzpah, to, to describe Abraham. Um, by, by the way, the, the word chutzpah is a, a, ver, a rather popular word in India right now. There's a movie that just came out. It was uh, kind of based on the, the play Hamlet. You know, there's Bollywood in India. And, and one of the, the more popular movies is this, is this movie Hader, H-A-I-D-E-R. And all throughout the movie, the, the main character uses the term chutzpah. Uh, all, all throughout. So it's, it's weird how kind of different words gain traction in different ways. But I want it to gain traction with us today. Because anytime that you think of it, I want you to think about, this is how I'm going to God. And that God will actually admire it. And uh, again, chutzpah is all about the forcefulness and no worries about what I look like. The only reason that some of your Bibles may translate it persistence or perseverance in prayer is because of this next section, ask, seek, knock. In this section where God is giving a prescription of how to pray, Jesus giving the prescription of how to pray, the command to ask and to seek and to knock is not a command that is given as a point in time. There are two different ways that verbs can be used in the Greek, which is the original language here. It could be a, man, a command to go, right? And that command to go may mean just go for, for, for a moment, Right. I mean, it, it might be, you know, go, go over into the next room or it might be that you are to go. Keep moving. Don't stay. That would be a command with an, uh, an ongoing idea behind it. So to use a little bit of a technical term, there's a punctiliar or a point in time command or a continuous command. Or to draw the comparison through a picture, there's a snapshot of a command that is done in a point in time like a photo or a film. Or, or, or a video loop that, that, that is, you know, a, a long stretch. The commands given here are not just a point in time. Don't just, don't just have a moment of asking, 
or seek for that second, or knock, you're done, good, that's all I'm asking for. No, it is the continuous aspect of this command that Jesus is using here. And so it's, hey, you begin asking, and you don't stop until you get what you want. You seek, and you don't stop until you find. And you knock, and knock, and knock, until your knuckles are sore, and until that door is open. That, that's the, the, the aspect of it, and that is why it gets kind of thrown back on the word anadia, uh, when in fact anadia doesn't have anything to do with persistence, or of course it, it could be persistent uh, when, when you've got that, that attitude about you. You know, one of the people in my life that really personifies anadia, or chutzpah, is my brother. And if any of you know my brother, you know that, you know what, once he wants something, it's, it's no use trying to stand up against him anymore. It's like, let me just surrender now and save myself like 17 hours of headache, all right? And, and even when he wants to get a hold of you, if he's trying to call you, and you think that you can somehow screen my brother's call, even though he's in Florida, you got another thing coming. You're just kidding yourself. You're not screening his call. It's going to come to you one way or another. He'll call your neighbor. Get them to answer and have them come over and hand you the phone. He's done stuff not too different from that over and over again. Where I've, I've, seen, I've seen the text message pop up. I've seen the phone call pop up. I've seen the phone ring on Debbie's phone. And I have to say, don't answer, it's my brother. <laughs> I was like, no, I can't talk about what he was just talking about right now. My powers to resist his persuasion aren't, aren't strong enough right now. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. You know, then he's going to call Caleb's phone. Then he's going to call Lindsay's phone. And what, one of them somehow he's going to find the way in. If, if not that, then he's going to go to a number that is blocked that I can't see. Then he's going to call from that number. And I'm like, oh, all right, all right, all right. But I got to admit, the kids got chutzpah. But this, the, this picture that is in mind here this is exactly what, what God admires in us. as we, Even though he knows already, it's still, would we not want to please God? And we would not want to be in alignment with God. And one of the things that he loves is that. But here's, here's why this man had such chutzpah in the story. Because he knew he was right. He knew he was in alignment with the will of God. He knew the right thing to do was to get those three loaves of bread and give it to this weary traveler. It is for sure the right thing to do. And not only is it the right thing to do, but it supersedes even another right thing, like helping your kids have a good night's sleep. Like he knew without a doubt, even though things are complicated, he knew without a doubt that's the right thing to do. And when you're that confident in the will of God, well, then you bring it without any restraint that's going to hold you back. And I think as you pray, as we pray, we ought to be praying for stuff for sure with that kind of chutzpah, not just because we want it, but because we know, no doubt, this is in alignment with the will of God. And here's what's interesting too, is that intercessory prayer, that is praying for others, is what's in view at this point in the story. And who is it that needs your prayers right now? Kevin needs your prayers right now. You know, we've got more than a few teens right now that are right on the edge of trying to figure out whether they're really going to surrender over to Jesus and, and, and live for Him. Repent, be baptized, wash clean, reborn, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know that's the will of God? Do you have any doubt about that? Well, why are you not busting down His door? 
Why are you not screaming before God? Like, God, please, please, Lord, just help them. Help them to surrender their will. Please, God, just make it abundantly clear. Use me, God, if there's some way that I can have a conversation with one of these folks to be able to open their eyes. There's, there are plenty of seekers that are in our life, likewise, where the exact same thing is going on. My brother, by the way, I've shared the story before, but my brother, who I figured would require a lot of chutzpah on my part and Jesus' part for him to ever surrender to Jesus, knowing him in his pre-Christian life as I did, and some of you may have known as well. But um, So I, I decided one night that I was going to go onto a little mountain outside of Baltimore, Federal Hill, and pray from about 11 at night until the sun came up. And I was going to pray for one thing, and I was just going to knock on God's door for one thing, and one thing only. God, I got nothing. I got no bread. I got no ability. I've tried everything that I got. The only thing I got left is you, and I love my brother. And I know it's your will for him to surrender and be able to really repent, rearrange, and and give his life to, to really following Jesus. As crazy as that sounds, with this young man, whose arrest record is astounding, if not even almost impressive, with the chutzpah he had with that. But nonetheless, God, intervene! Intervene, God! And, uh, you know, amazingly, despite flights that I had made to Memphis, trips and trips to go there, phone calls and phone calls, all of that that came to nothing on my own part, after that prayer, I went to bed that morning, slept in a little late, and was woken by his phone call. I didn't want to pick it up because I was sleeping, but I knew since it was him, he wasn't going to stop, so I better pick it up. (laughs) But when I picked it up, this is what he said. He goes, hey, I thought I'd share some good news with you. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, the the, the minister out here in uh, in Memphis uh, was able to have a a coffee meeting with me today, and it's almost like my eyes opened up. It was like the scales fell from off my eyes, and I, I finally see this stuff. Anyway, I'm so excited. I just thought I will let you know. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, like do, I, do I like not really believe in prayer? Like, why am I even so... Like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. But God loves our chutzpah. He admires that in you. You know, when my kids, uh, Caleb and Lindsay, you know, they're here. You know, throughout the time that we've lived in our neighborhood over, over up the road, you know, we'd, we'd go and knock on doors and do different things and... You know, it depends on why we might ask them. You know, maybe we're having a neighborhood party. Would you go knock on the door, see if they're home, see if you can give them the invitation to the party? You know, they go up to the door and, you know, they wouldn't hear anything. They'd be like, okay, let's go. We'll just leave, leave the note there and, and go on. Because it's a neighbor. They don't know him so well. They don't have a deep relationship. And the less you have a relationship, the more awkward you feel at that door, right? Kid or adult, whatever it is, we all feel that way. However... When they come home from school, and God forbid, our front door is not open as they get off the school bus, and they're trying to get in the house, you would think that they smuggled a battering ram in between the two of them on the school bus as they come back to the house. You know, suddenly now at our house, it's a lot different when they knock on the door than when they knock on the neighbor's door. On on our house, it's like, you know, you hear everything rattle as they're banging on the door. And then you hear screaming. And then you see little fingers poke through the mail slot. We have a mail slot on our front door. And, and then, you, you know, you hear them yelling through the mail slot, We're home! Open the door! Open the door! Open the door! Like, how many times do you say the same phrase over and over again? I'm in the bathroom. I'll be there. Open the door! Open the door! But this is really important about this story. Not this story. This, this story. 
is that we can do that because we have that kind of relationship with God. Lindsay and Caleb are not going to try to hand out an invitation to our party to a neighbor that they don't know so well and open up their mailbox and say, Open the door! Open the door! Of course not. But that's, that's what I think Jesus gives us as a beautiful picture here is that's the kind of relationship you have with God. It's not just scary guy on the throne, thunderbolt waiting to get you. No, it's, it's a father who actually, although he'll act like he's a little bit annoyed that you're you know, screaming like that, it's kind of like, I, you know what? I appreciate that kind of perseverance. And that's how I feel, really. I mean, even though it's like, oh, they're being idiots. But I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Good for you. You know, you got moxie. You got chutzpah. I'm, I'm glad to see that you got some, some, some perseverance there and that you know what you want and you're not afraid to ask for it and you know it's right, right? I mean, this is opening a door. It's not some great theological concept, of course. But, but when you know that it's right and you know you have a good relationship with the person that you're asking, you go for it. What you pray for, you know that it's right. Unless it's, you know, Dwayne's hard drive that you're you know, practicing intercessory prayer for right now. But, but, but if you know that what it is for which you pray is right, and you know to whom you pray, and how he has a relationship with you, and how dear it is to him to even have that conversation with you, open the door. Scream it. He admires your chutzpah. And then finally, in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a snake, will give him a fish instead? Uh, I'm sorry, we'll give him a scorpion. Let me start this over. <laughs> Which of you... I was trying to check the time and read and think I was being smooth. and It's true, you can't actually multitask in this world. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, in this story, he, he gives us the picture of a friend, but that's not God. God is greater than that friend. And then he gives a picture of a father. And again, even though you're a good dad, but you know what? At your heart, you're still a mess, and you know how to have, give good gifts to your kids? Well, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father be able to give you what is so precious, what is so beautiful? And here's something that is, um, I think, surprising to us, only because of our preconceptions. And we are all affected by tradition more than you know. But if I were to say to you this phrase, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock, what's Jesus talking about? And we weren't reading this passage. And I bet if I did a survey of a of, hundred of you, that not really one out of a hundred of you, if I said, ask, seek, knock, what is Jesus talking about? I don't think one of you would say, oh, that's all about the Holy Spirit. Right? When you say it's just about a general seeking after a God, a general, you know, kind of getting in alignment with the will of God. But what is the object of all this shameless audacity? What is the object of all this chutzpah and moxie? What is the object of all this asking and seeking and knocking and praying and begging and pursuing? It's nothing else than, in this clear 
delineation by Jesus, the Holy Spirit. That's for what we ask and seek and knock. The Holy Spirit. But again, you know, sometimes we can kind of not keep Him in as full of you as we really ought to. And so, my, my last thing that I want to just mention to us, not only does He admire your chutzpah, but He, meaning the Holy Spirit, He's worth your chutzpah. For those of you who have been born of water and spirit, you've been reborn of the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you like streams of living water, John seven thirty eight. You have the Holy Spirit as, a, as an earnest, a down payment, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, who is to guarantee your inheritance to come. You have the Holy Spirit within you who wants to express himself according to Galatians 5, 22 and through 23, through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You have this Holy Spirit who is not a spirit of timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. You have this Holy Spirit and are you with this kind of tenacity, audacity coming before the Lord, bang, 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 please God, show me how I can really allow this power plant of the Holy Spirit, how he can better be expressed through my life. I don't want to live any longer in the constraints of fleshliness. I don't want to walk in some sort of ordinary steps throughout these days, when I have within me the very Spirit of Christ. Don't discount that. That's a huge corruption of the beauty of the New Covenant. All of the prophets of old long to look to us to see the completion of all that they did because we finally know what it is to be indwelt by the very Spirit of God. That's no small thing. And if that is not a big part of our chutzpah, oh my goodness, God, you've given me your very spirit. Let him be expressed. Let me get my stupid inhibitions of my flesh out of the way so that really the Holy Spirit can work unimpeded through the days that I have here. And then guaranteeing what it is that I will have forevermore. All of you who have been reborn of the Holy Spirit, this awaits you. Why give it another day to just simply go down the path of meh, ordinary, whatever, when instead of having a fleshly existence, you could have a transcendent, astounding significance of nothing less than the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ being able to work through you, be expressed through you, unencumbered by your social convention, and instead, allow him to do the great work that he can, not only in your own life, in your family's life, but in, in, in all people that you're going to be in contact with. What could be cooler than that? And, and who's going to have a regret at the end of their day or the end of their days that, uh, I let that Holy Spirit work through me today. <laughs> Nobody's going to feel that way. Everybody who has really stepped aside flesh-wise has always come back, ah, oh, let me share with you what happened today. Yeah. And here's the cool part. Nobody who does ever gets proud because they realize this is not what I would do in my flesh. This was clearly the working of the Holy Spirit. The conversation I had with that person, the depth of love that I was able to share with my friend in, today. And, you know, there's so much the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants you to love one another deeply from the heart. He wants you to have conversations with one another, even today, that you hold back from. Why? Well, I don't know. It's not very comfortable to really express how deeply I admire and respect and love that person. 
Why? Why? Well, because I don't normally talk that way. Good. Throw it off. Time to throw off the flesh. Who wants to be constrained because that's not, you know, that's not my keep on keeping on of life? Well, bust that up. Go to God with some chutzpah and, and really pray that the Holy Spirit can really be expressed for you. But not only that, but if you're seeking God right now, and if you're here and you're even wondering, I don't know, he keeps saying phrases like, I don't know, born of the Holy Spirit, born of water and spirit, John 3, 5, to, to be regenerated by the very power that regenerated Christ from, from the, the, the grave. That, that's the very same power. I don't, I don't know if I've been reborn of the Holy Spirit. Well, then, you know what? It's time for you to get your prayer on with some chutzpah and to be banging down God's door. I'm like, all right, God, make this clear to me. Make it crystal clear to me. This is no small thing. This is the very eternity that hangs in the balance. And not only that, but the rest of my days that hang in the balance of of whether I live with that kind of a joy expressed through my life of the very Spirit of God. And so to to end today, I just got two two basic challenges. Pray with chutzpah for a seeker to be reborn of the Spirit. If you're that seeker, well then go ahead and pray for yourself. But do it with chutzpah. Make it look like Caleb and Lindsay's little mouths coming through that mail gate, screaming. Open the door! Give me the Spirit! Give me the Spirit! And then, if you have been reborn of the Spirit, pray with chutzpah. Pray with chutzpah that nothing is going to keep him from being expressed through your life. That you're not going to squelch that spirit. You're not going to douse that spirit. You're not going to grieve that spirit. You're not going to in any way take that great gift and turn it into something that is almost, almost non-existent. I know you don't want that. And I know what we want is something astounding. And it's what God wants as well. And since we know it's what God wants, and since we know scripture after scripture lays this out that this is the will of God, and we know that this is the righteous path, and we know the God, the Father, the friend to whom we speak, well, it's time to just throw it all off, throw off any sort of convention, and to have that kind of radical prayer with chutzpah before the Lord. Because what is to be given to you is precious beyond words. Amen.